You know, he sang them hymns. And how anybody could ever say that they are not useful and needful for today, I have no idea. It moves the heart, moves the soul, centers one's affections on the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done, amen? And it just encourages one as we open our Bibles together this morning to First Thessalonians, amen, chapter 2. And um, as we are going verse by verse down through First Thessalonians, I just want to remind us of a couple of things. Some unique things that we took note of last Lord's Day morning when we were together here concerning this particular fellowship, the church in Thessalonica. A couple of unique things that we see there. In fact, one of the unique things is that we look at many of the New Testament churches and there was always a praise for what they were doing, but then there was always a kind of a condemnation of what they, some of the things they shouldn't have been doing that they were doing. And what's unique about this church, and this is why I believe we should try and be an example here of this church, is that Paul never one time admonished them, not for anything, nothing, not one thing. And that's really a rare thing when you consider the letters that we have in our New Testament canon concerning the issues that were in the church. In fact, Paul said to them, you are examples to all that believe. He's using them as an example. He says, you're an example. In fact, your example, you following and serving the Lord God is so well known and on such display that we don't even need to say anything to any of the other churches. They all know that you're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. You are indeed waiting for him. And Again, this is what leads us to one of the second, the other unique thing that we kind of looked at, and that is in the book of Thessalonians, this letter to this unique church that was never admonished for anything, is that in every chapter, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, and we didn't stop there, 2 Thessalonians, chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is referenced in every chapter. It is indeed, as we said, a, a, a second coming book, amen, the second advent book to the New Testament churches because it was such a central theme. And as we remember there, it is in the light of that, it is in the shadow of our Lord's coming, his imminent, his, his imminent return. And again, brethren, we are in that today. We are in the shadow of his imminent return, the Lord Jesus Christ, that these brethren were serving and doing, of course, the thing, things that they were doing, as I said, just as we should be. Again, brethren, this is, I pray, as we go through this letter together, this isn't just an exercise in theology, because that is my weakness. I turn things into theology all the time, which is good, amen, because my theology dictates how I act, and it should be for you too, but I want this to be more than that. Amen. As we ask the Spirit of God to, as we examine the Scriptures, as we look at them, and we ask God, the Spirit of God, to implement those things in our own fellowship, brother, to be examples to other Bible-believing churches. And this is really, ultimately, as we go through these letters together, that we would want to be. We would want to be stamped and etched like this church in Thessalonica. Well, let's read together here as we take up our text together. Verse number one. The Bible says, the words of God, the very words of God, for yourselves, brethren, know. And I want you to take special notice of that word. Our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. 
It's a stunning thing as Paul begins here in verse number one. What he's about to say to them, he's saying, I'm going to talk about things that you already know. <laughs> Reminds me of Brother Peter, doesn't it? Remember his closing epistle? He's getting ready to, to, to leave the earth. His, his, he's going to lay aside this, this tent, this pile of dirt, and go to be with the Lord. And he said to the brethren, even though you already know these things, I want to bring this to your remembrance. So what Paul is doing, he's beginning here, he's saying, I'm going to tell you something and speak about things that you already know. And I want you to see how important this is to him. I want you to see verse number 5. He says the same thing. Look at verse number 5 of our text. For neither at any time use we flattering words, as you know. So he's telling them, brethren, I'm going to repeat some things and say to some things that you already know. And the reason he's doing this, we're going to see in our text, is, again, the defense of the charges that are being made here against him. And six verses full of them. It's a stunning thing. In fact, he, he answers in the negative the positive that they were charging against him. And this is really an extension and we're going to see this, of Acts chapter 17. We remember when Paul was there. They were accusing him of what? They were accusing him of all manner of things, bringing Gentiles into the temple and, and uh, desecrating, you know, screwing up the Roman peace. That's part of what they accused him of. Here he's giving us a, a list of things that not only were they saying those things against him, but they were saying these things against him. And so he answers in the negative. Again, and it's really interesting how he does that. Look at verse 11. Look at verse number 11 of chapter 2. As ye know, again, I'm going to say some things that you know to be true about me and about my companions. And this is important, brethren, because, you know, you ask yourself, why would he call on them? Not one time, not two times, not three times, not four times in the text. In fact, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Look at verse number 5. He does it five times. Look at verse number 5. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and much assurance. As ye know what manner of man. Why would Paul call on the brethren there five times and say, as you know, as ye remember, as you understand? Why would he do that? Concerning these things. Well, let me ask you this morning, brother. Have you ever had anybody speak ill of you? Have you ever had anybody go out and say some malicious, unholy, ungodly things about you? Well, if you're a pastor or an elder, you sure have. <laughs> I can promise you that. And this is what's happening to Paul. Now, when I was studying this, I kept thinking to myself and trying to grasp what these men were actually saying about him. You think of the Apostle Paul, and the last thing you think of are the things that they are accusing him of in this letter. I mean, it's an amazing thing. And again, this is why Paul says, I think Howard often of what we, we talk about a lot, and Brother Dean, one of the things that a brother likes to do, and should do as a Christian brother, is always think the best of someone. Unless... There's a track record that says we shouldn't think the best of them. But otherwise, as Christians, as we are together in the Lord, we should look at one another and somebody says some kind of an ill, unholy, ungodly thing, and you say, that doesn't sound like Gene or Mike. 
That doesn't sound like Ben or Dean or Howard. It doesn't sound like them. That's not the life that they live. And so this is what Paul is doing. He's reminding them. Hey, remember, these unholy, ungodly things are being said about me, but you know they're not true. And so we're going to look at this, just the expanded list. Again, in Acts chapter 17, you go there. We just did the, went through the book of Acts. And it's glorious because now we know the timeline. This is the timeline right here as we're going along. You go to Acts chapter 17. Paul's in, you know, at the church. He founds the church there in Thessalonica. And he wasn't there long because what? Now again, as, as we're going to look, he's accused of being a man pleaser. Brethren, the last thing the Apostle Paul could ever be accused of is being a man pleaser. Because everywhere he went, they were trying to kill him. They cast him out of the city, not because he's a man pleaser. Because he's a God preacher and a God pleaser. And this is what he's doing. He's responding to this. Again, when you think about this text and you wonder to yourself, who in the world could dream up such an unholy thing to say against the Apostle Paul and his fellow laborers? Anything but that, as we're going to see here together. These Jews stirred up a lot of things in Thessalonica. They stirred up the town in Acts chapter 17, and they, they, they brought these attacks, the Bible says, on Paul and his godly companions. And we know that they're evil and godly and diabolical, many of which, again, as I said here, that are revealed for us here in our text that Paul, by his inspired pen, adds to. Again, thinking, remember, we went through the book of Acts. He was accused of uh, screwing up the Roman epoch. He was accused of messing with the, with the government. There was another king. He was preaching about these kind of things. And we know that. But again, these are the things that were added to what these men were saying about him. You ever had anybody say anything bad or unholy? I thought of Brother Keith over here too a little bit. Just some of the things that he's been through. When you're a holy, godly man, and you, or woman, and you stand up for holy, godly principles, you know what the ungodly are going to do? And even sometimes, people who call themselves brothers, they're going to speak ill of you, and untruths of you, all throughout the community. <laughs> Amen? And this is what we're seeing. This is what they were doing. That's why Paul said, brothers, you know me. Amen? Again, if somebody comes and says something unholy or ungodly in my ear about Dean. That's not the first thing I think of. I don't think of Dean as some kind of an ungodly man. You're going to have to show me that he lives, because no, his life does not portray that whatsoever. Howard, many, many of us here. That's why this is such an important text to us. As we implement, as we look at one another, brethren, again, the practical working of this out. The practical application, just right from the beginning, is that when someone says something ill of a brother or sister, you should immediately think good of them, not ill of them. Amen? And so this is what we're going to look at. These evil men who were spreading these lies about the Apostle Paul and his co and fellow workers in the gospel. Look there, if you would, at verse number 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, look at verse number 2. The first accusation against Paul, and we're going to look at this, is that Paul can't be trusted. You know why Paul can't be trusted? He can't be trusted because he's got a police record on file in, in uh, Philippi. You can't trust somebody that's been in jail, right, Howard? 
Look at verse 2. But even after that, we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as ye know. Where? At Philippi. Yep. We were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God in much contention. So again, this is the accusation against Paul. He's, he's answering a negative in the positive. He's got this police record on file there. Well, that's my terminology. That's what I called it because that's the terminology we would use. Just get on the computer, boom, 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 pull it up. Oh, oh, look, this guy here, he's been in prison. But why was he in prison? They were accusing him in unholy and ungodly things. That's why he was in prison. But no, actually, that's not why he was in prison in Philippi. Do you remember what he was in prison for? We went through there in Acts chapter 16. Turn there with me, if you would. I want you to see again why he was thrown in prison. Again, you, you, you consider these things that were said about him, and you just, it's the farthest thing from your mind these accusations. Look at Acts chapter 16. Look at verse number 11. You remember the little demon girl that was following them around. Look at verse 11. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came to the straight course of Samithra, and the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony, and we were in that city abiding certain days. And Verse 13, on down through. Remember, they're preaching the gospel and uh, the little demon girl's following them around and she's actually telling the truth. These men have the God. They're telling you the way to be saved. Literally, that's what, they're, that's what it was saying. But look at verse 22. Look what happens. Because when they told the demon girl, they cast, get, a, you know, get, get out of here, be mute, that kind of a thing. Look at verse 22. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. So again, brethren, these false accusations, right in verse number 2, Paul's a prisoner, he can't be trusted, he's a liar, these things... He was put in there, and they understood this. Hey, brothers at Thessalonica, as you know, I was put in prison because I was faithfully preaching the word of God. Amen? That's why I was there. So yes, I indeed can be trusted. He counters their untruth in verse number 2 with, the, uh, with the, what the brethren at Thessalonica know to be true, that he was imprisoned for preaching the gospel. What a glorious thing to be said of you and of me. And brethren, I don't know if you've been paying attention at all. Do you know what the evil governments are up to right now, under your nose? Yeah, they're going to want you and I to put diapers back on our faces. You better be ready. Better be ready to go somewhere, and it better go to prison for the right reasons. And that is preaching the gospel and not submitting to that kind of evil. This is why Paul was in prison in Philippi. That's why he had a, had a prison record there. That's why the pastors in Canada have a prison record up there. Not because they were evil or unholy or did anything wrong. They were simply being faithful to the word of God. That was accusation, well, number four, because they had three other ones against him, but number four was unveiled there. Look at chapter, verse number three. First Thessalonians chapter two, look at verse number three. They weren't quite finished. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, look at verse 3. They added 
just, uh, well, three more accusations on top of it. Look at verse number three. For our exhortation was not of, what? Deceit. And uncleanness, number two, nor in guile. Again, we see Paul answering in the negative. Because he's saying, as you know, these are not true. What does that mean? What were they accusing him of? What, what were they accusing Paul of? His motives. And those fellow laborers in the gospel, here are their motives. They are deceitful men. Charging Paul with being deceitful. One who leads into error. A cheat. An imposter. Think of that for a moment. That's what that word means. This is what they're accusing him of. He says, nope. The second thing, their uncleanness. Think of this, brethren, for just a moment. That word uncleanness, particularly right here, means not in covenant with God. Think of this, brethren, what that means, the depth of this. If anybody was in covenant with God, as Gene and I were talking this morning, covenant, it means that you're saved through the covenant of Christ. He's the new covenant. If anybody's not in covenant with God, it was those men making the accusation against him. Paul was clearly in covenant with God. But they accuse him of being unclean, not in covenant with God. Adultery of the heart, it means that as well. It gets deep, brethren. Inordinate and unclean affections, this is the other thing that they're accusing him of. Look at the third thing there, of guile. To disguise craftily, wily, secret treachery. Now again, brethren, I have had some bad things said about me, and you probably have too. I don't think it's gone to this depth. Men saying evil things. Paul then answering in the negative. No, brother, and you know this isn't true. They're not finished. Look at verse 4. Look at this. And again, this is the one. I laughed out loud, brother. When I was actually studying this, sitting in my office, I, I laughed out loud, just like Howard did a minute ago. Look at verse number 4. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak... Not as pleasing men, but God. They were accusing him in the positive of being a man pleaser. The last thing you could accuse the Apostle Paul of is being a man pleaser. Like I said, that's why he got run out of every city he was in. That's why he was put in prison and just about everywhere he went. And ultimately, in the end, that's why his head was removed. Because he was not a man pleaser by any stretch of the imagination. And brethren, neither should we. Can I say it again? Neither should we. No. Not a man pleaser. Paul says, nope. Nope, nope. It's interesting. Now look at verse 5 again. There's another thing there that we want to look at. Not only does he say, I wasn't pleasing men, I'm not a man pleaser. For neither at any time use we flattering words. Flattering words. Again, they were accusing him of basically, brethren, Flattery means giving praise as a means of gratifying someone's vanity. Paul was nothing more, they were saying, than a slickster, a religious huckster. In fact, I was thinking to myself, there's so many religious hucksters I can think of today that actually fit this description. <laughs> Especially because not only do they accuse him of using words that would please someone's vanity, Again, brethren, that's the last thing you and I would ever think of. Look at verse 5. Not only flattering words, he's nothing more than a slick-talking salesman selling some kind of wares door-to-door. -door. But he's this, 
Verse 5 there again. Look what it says. For neither at any time use we flattering words, as ye know, for a cloak of covetousness. Now, brethren, there's a lot of today's preachers that came to my mind when I thought about flattering words, being men-pleasers, and covetousness. A lot. Paul and his cohorts, they're saying, were preaching the gospel for material gain by fleecing the flock. Think of that, brethren. This gets me excited because we see again Paul the man, Paul the preacher, Paul the godly man who was a man whom God used. And again, we're going to see this. This is stunning. He calls the brethren as their witness, as his witness. Now look at there at verse number six as we kind of do the macro look. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. What are they accusing him of there? They're accusing him of what? Preaching the gospel for his own glory. For his own glory. Oh, brother, and again, if you're, if you're an elder, a pastor, a preacher, this is a good text to read. Because this text will tell you how we should be. These are the kind of men we should be. Again, answering in the negative. No, we did not preach the gospel, and we are not preaching the gospel for our own glory. There's one whose glory we are concerned about, and it wasn't our own, I can tell you that. Now, it's interesting, brother, again, brothers, again, verse number five, it's, it's a crazy thing. It, when you think about this, again, we know, the brethren all know, <laughs> we know, the brethren all know, brethren that none of these salacious things are true. We would never think of that, the Apostle Paul. But more importantly, and this is what I want to bring our attention to, more importantly, there's another in the text who knows the truth. And again, when a preacher stands before the congregation and the people, he has one who he must please, one audience, And we see here again, the Apostle Paul knew who his audience was. And there was one in this text who knows all things. One who sees all things, knows the heart, knows Paul, knows the preachers. And I want you to see in the text again that it is God himself. God himself. Look at verse number two. All these accusations are being made. But look what he says in verse number 2. But even after that we had suffered before, we were shamefully entreated, as ye know at Philippi. We were bold in our God to speak unto unto you the gospel of God in much contention. So he's calling God as his witness. The gospel of God. We spoke before God. He's our witness. Look at verse number 4. But as we were allowed of God... To be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who trieth the heart. See, Paul takes it right down again, as we say, to the place that no man can see. God, who sees their heart, knows their heart, knows why they're doing it. And that's what's important. Men can say whatever they want, but it's God who we must be concerned about as preachers, as men and women who go out and share the gospel. It is him. He's our witness. He's the one. In fact, look at verse number 10. Look at verse number 10. He says that. Ye are witnesses. And what? God also. God knows how holily 
Look at, look at the motives. They were accusing Paul of having impure motives, preaching the gospel. And, and he says, I don't care what you say. What I care about is God, who is my witness, who is sitting here, who knows my heart. He went down in there. He tried my heart. He, he exercised my heart. He knows exactly why I'm here and why we're here. But look there. God knows how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. Again, he's the audience. He's the one who knows these things. God himself is witness. The perfect, in fact, that word there has to do with being judicious. He is the eternal, perfect, judicious one. He's the one who knows things perfectly. This is what Paul is saying. The brethren in Thessalonica knew the gospel had its origin in God. This, again, is what Paul is bringing to our remembrance. And that Paul and his co-laborers were approved by God according to his own witness. <laughs> you remember in 2 Timothy, we don't have time to go there today, brethren. Chapter 4, Paul's preaching, preach the word. But he calls God and the Lord Jesus Christ as who? As his witness, as those who are listening. Those who are watching and giving him the power to do so. He must be faithful to them. And brethren, we as Christians must be faithful to them. This is what a sound, biblical church begins to look like. Like this church. Like these men and women and the brethren in the, in the, in the congregation there. They knew, again, these things. It's quite an amazing thing. They were approved by God. Now look at here. The Apostle Paul now, he's, again, from a macro level, he's, he's defending, and he has God as his witness. He has the brethren as a witness, because not only do they know, but God knows, right? Paul now, in verses 7 and 8, reveals to us the true heart of a good and godly pastor. One who does indeed love the church. And brethren, we should love the church. And I'm not talking about the building. Can I just use yesterday as a little example? Oh, man. Now, brethren, I know some of us couldn't be there. But I have to say, I really thoroughly enjoyed my friendship, my Christship with the brothers who were there and the sisters. Brethren, we had pastors from other churches there, whom I love. We had brothers and sisters from other churches there, whom I love. Stunningly amazing. And you know what was so interesting and so amazing about all that? Is the fellowship that we all shared together. We were bound together, not by church buildings. Because Pastor John Wall's preaching in a church building this morning, amen? He's not here with us. But the fellowship we had is the unity we had in Christ. And the encouragement that we had. And the salads we ate. Oh my goodness. Oh. But in the end, brethren, that is good for us. That is good for us to be together like that. To encourage one another. To grow one another in the Lord. We had, well, there was, well, Brother Harrison there, and then Brother Todd LeBrenz was there. And they had some kind of a deep 
theological discussion going in the back room. The fire started. It was kind of burning hot a little bit. But it's so good to see that. Young men who love the Lord and love his truth. These are the things, brethren, that Paul is talking about. See, they knew Paul. They knew. There is no way that Paul is a man pleaser. There's no way that he did this for monetary gain. There is no way. He did it because he loves the church. And that would be us, the people. Look at 1 Thessalonians. Look at verse chapter 2. Look at verses 7 and 8. Look at the imagery that Paul uses for this. Verse 7 and 8. The Bible says, But we were gentle among you. We were gentle to you, brethren. Even as a nurse cherisheth her children. That word cherish is important. It's only used one other time in all of the New Testament. His love for them was insatiable. And you know what? They knew it. Not only that, look at verse 8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls. I mean, this love he had for the brethren there goes deep, deep down inside of him. It is a Christ-like love that only Christ can give you for brothers who are like me. I have issues. <laughs> but this kind of love that we're talking about here, even to the very soul, given of the very soul, that's a deep love that I can't hardly fathom or comprehend. But it is indeed a Christ-like love. And we're going to see that here in a moment. That word cherish draws our religious affections very closely. Paul here uses the imagery of a nursery nursery at feeding time (laughs) to reiterate what the Thessalonians already knew to be true. Just like a nursing mother, mothers who are nursing, and there was quite a few, there's a few here this morning, there was quite a few yesterday I saw. You know this to be true. Just as a nursing mother imparts her own life to the child, so did Paul. And his co-workers impart their lives to them. This is what he's saying. Just like a nursing mother that cherisheth the child. Now, I suppose today's technology, well, you really cannot be a nursing mother and turn your baby over to someone else. You understand that, right? A nursing mother cannot turn her child over to somebody else. Paul did not turn this church over to somebody else. He said, I love you so much, I have such an affection for you, that deep down in my heart, it's like a nursing mother who would never turn the child over to anyone else. This is what he's saying. The baby must be in your arms, nursing mothers, next to your heart, cherishing it, loving it, caring for it. This is what Paul is saying. This is how much I love the church. That is the people there. Now, as I said, there's only one other time that this word is used in the New Testament. I want us to turn there together. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. The only other place that it's used. And again, this will show us 
all of those evil things, all of those unholy, ungodly things being said about Paul, the brother knew this about him, that he did indeed love them and he did indeed cherish them. Look at verse chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, look at verse 25, a very familiar portion of scripture to us. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So we're seeing here a glorious picture of the deep love of Christ for the church. And that's what's unfolding. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it, and what? Cherish it. The only other time it's used. And this kind of loving, nurturing, mother kind of nursery kind of thing, if I can say that uh, in, a, in, in a most prudent way is the Lord Jesus Christ's love for his church. Look at how he finishes it. Let me read verse 29. For no man ever hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, and even, even as the Lord the church. That word cherish literally means to brood over. Only twice in the New Testament. Both times speaking of to the great, well, the Christ is the greatest preacher who ever lived, but Paul's right behind there. The only two times is used, it has to do with the kind of love that they have for you and me as the saved of God. Think of that, brooding over you, cherishing you, just like these young mothers who are so godly, such good godly examples. I had a good one too with my own wife. Cherishing, brooding, loving, caring. Would never break them off to somebody else. Oh no, that's dangerous. <laughs> There's a danger there. This is what we see. The Apostle Paul being totally and completely lied and blasted in public. Unholy, ungodly, untrue things. And what did he do? He said, brethren, you know this. Not only do you know this, but it's the one who most importantly knows it. And that is God himself. What a glorious thing for Paul to do. To just completely and totally trust and then to show the church how much he loved them. Now, we have some elders and maybe some future elders here in the church. And brethren, I have to tell you, when I read these sorts of things, and I, I try to grasp and understand that kind of love, it is something that I'm working on. And I've really been praying God to give me that kind of love for you. It's a unique kind of thing. And it's not an easy thing. Again, because I have my own issues. But to love one another, care for one another, cherish one another, nourish one another is, 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 is something so glorious. A church should be so thankful to the Lord when you have a pastor or elders like we have who love you in this way, who cherish you in this way. It really is this kind of thing. This is the kind of love and care that Paul and his fellow laborers had shown the church. And this is really part of what we take away from this in a practical sense, in a real practical way. 
Can I ask you again, have you ever had anybody speak ill of you? Attack you with untrue things about who you are? I want you to be encouraged. Because when you climb the mountain, as, as uh, one pastor said, the higher you get up the mountain, the stormier it gets. <laughs> it does. When God raises you up to an elder in the church, it gets pretty stormy up there. That's why God never intended a man to be by himself to do it. <laughs> That's why we have two other guys. You can't do it on your own. It's too stormy. It's too rough. And God knows that. So he stuck, praise the Lord, here with me, two other godly men to lead and to help and to grow to love you as we should. But if you've ever had someone slander you and speak ill of you, don't be disheartened. Really, this, this is a, a glorious portion of Scripture. You know, we say we're Bible believers and we always trust what the Bible says. Let us trust what the Bible says here. That when someone does do that, and you know it's ill-spoken, you know it isn't true, we all know it isn't true. Trust in the one who knows it's not true. Amen? This is what one must do. Completely and totally. And believe you me, that's hard to do. Because again, in my own nature, my own flesh, I like to flash back. Don't you? Maybe it's just me. I like to flash back. Paul just said, you know it's not true. God knows it's not true. And this is how much I love you. This much. My very soul. My very aspirations. To love the people of God in such a way is an amazing thing. Don't be disheartened. Don't be discouraged. God himself is witness. He is the perfect, eternal, judicious one who knows all things. He transcends every circumstance, every lie, every evil meant against the brethren. Amen? That is a glorious truth for us to grab onto and to believe and to live out, even as Christians. You know, the devil hates you. Oh, yeah, he does. And he's got many who speak for him against you. Keep in mind, brethren, that God knows the truth. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we, again, thank you for the Bible this morning for this, for this letter whom Paul is writing to the church that he had planted. And he was there a very short period of time and then he was, he was ran out of town on a rail because he was such a man pleaser. <laughs> and the Spirit of God now roughly a year later is guiding him and directing him to write to the church. Write to the brethren and say, you, you know these things. You know what you've heard. You know what men have said about me. And yet you know who I am. You know me. Because it is God who made me the way I am. God knows it. And so, Father, I pray that we will learn from this. To be faithful in the word of God, no matter what men might say. Not to be men pleasers. Not to be men who would, uh, or women who would preach the gospel for some ill-gotten gain, some material thing that will vanish tomorrow or maybe later today. But to be men and women of God who love God and are indeed doing these things because of care and love and concern for those around us who are lost.
Father, we thank you for this glorious outline of especially how pastors should be, but every Christian should be this way. This is so practical and so good for us, as many of us in this room have experienced it. And Father, may we trust in you, the God who is the eternal judicial one, judicious one, he who is perfect when he judges. Father, we pray also this morning for encouragement to the brethren. We pray also for the lost sheep, if they are here sitting or maybe listening a hundred years from now, who knows how you might use your word in their heart, that they might believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that they might trust in him as their Lord and Savior in your perfect and glorious timing. Father, we love you now, and as we gather around the Lord's table, so grateful that we can again, that you've given us another Lord's Day, like the men and I were praying. You've given us another Lord's Day to be together, and we are so thankful for that. And we will indeed proclaim your death till you come. Or we are no longer here another Lord's Day. We are in heaven in glory with you. But we will do it until then. We thank you now and praise your holy name and pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.